in the last week of our series, Love Different, or in the third week, you wish it was the last week, and we're learning in this series how God wants us, uh, that he wants us to treat and love people the way he's treated and loves us, and uh, as you can tell by my uh, uh, Carolina comment, I got a long ways to go. In fact, let me just say this, uh, I need this series as much as you do, maybe, maybe more than you do, I'll be honest with you, I, I tend to treat people based on how they treat me, you do that, don't you? You know, I tend to treat people the way I think is best for me. Uh, just like you, I tend to treat people the way I need to treat them if there's something I feel like I need to get out of them. I mean, I do all those things just like you do. But as Christians, what we're learning in this series is that Jesus has a whole different goal for us when it comes to our relationships. In fact, this is what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 5, 43. We're going to hear this every week. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But we saw last week when we hear this idea that we're supposed to love our enemies, our natural response is, but yeah, you don't know my enemy. You don't know my story. And, and the reality is this, every one of us here this weekend, there's probably been some point in our life where we felt mistreated, we felt abused, we felt betrayed, we felt ripped off. And so you know, we, we have this story to tell and we feel like we're the exception. I mean, if we could just tell our story, if we just, could just get our story out there so everybody could understand just how traumatic our situation is right maybe we would get a pass when it comes to this idea of loving your enemies so last week we said well let's look at our story and we looked at our story and I know many of you were at the beach of the mountains and and I don't have time to review it all this weekend maybe you can listen to it online but we learned as Christians and, and then like I said last week it was a message for Christians like this is a series for Christians we're glad you're here but this is really for us you don't have to worry about this stuff as Christians our story doesn't really begin where most of us think our story begins. Last week we saw that before the world was ever created, we have a heavenly father who chose us to be his child. That means he adopted us into his family. He forgave us of all of our sins. He lavished his grace upon us. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us full and total access to him any time of the day, any time of the night. We don't need to go to the priest. We can go directly to him. And not only that, he promised us that one day we were gonna get to live with him forever in his incredible kingdom. Now, if you're here as a Christian this weekend, understand that's where your story began. Ephesians chapter one, we talked about it. However, we tend to start our story where we were hurt, uh, where we were abused, where we were betrayed. And, and you know, I had a lady uh, a, a while back come to my office and she says, I wanna tell you my story. And she said, I'll just warn you, it's kind of complicated. It's gonna take a while. It might, oh, you know, my spirit, because I've got the ADD. I'm thinking about halfway through, I'm gonna be watching my staff out the window wondering why they're leaving and I'm still stuck here working, stuff like that. But you know, that's where it began. We, that's where we begin our stories. And, and, and so once we, once we share our story of our trauma, our, our abuse, now I wanna downplay it, there's been some serious, but once we share that story, we wonder, now God, now that you know my story, like you didn't know it, do I really have to love that person in light of what they've done to me? And see, we feel that way because when we lose sight of where our story really begins, where it began before the foundation, the creation of the world, when we lose where our story really begins, see, what happens in our lives is we only focus, we focus on what's fair. We begin to focus on what's just. We begin to focus on our rights. We begin to focus on, man, this is the way I, I need to be treated. I need to be treated with respect. Uh, we, we focus this, this is what I need. This is what I deserve. It, it's really like me, 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 I, 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 I. And with, without ever meaning to, we don't mean to do this, it's just automatic. We, we naturally begin to do what comes, it's just natural in our relationships. We begin to convince people. If I can just convince you to see it from my perspective. We begin to manipulate people to, to, to get what we want. We begin to control people to get them to do what we want them to do. And it's because when we get into these relationships, we have to make sure that we're getting what we want out of the relationship. We're getting what we need out of the relationship, right? 
We have to make sure we get our fair share. We have to make sure we're treated the way we think we ought to be treated. Now, I got news for you this weekend. None of that automatically changes just because at some point in your life, you decide to follow Jesus and become a Christian. None of that automatically changes. The problem is this. When we approach our relationships that way by convincing, manipulating, and controlling, without ever meaning to, this is what happens. We end up damaging and even in some cases destroying our relationships. Because anybody who's ever been convinced, anybody who's ever been manipulated, anybody who's ever been controlled will tell you the takeaway from that kind of relationship is always rejection. So I'm just telling you this weekend, if your whole outlook on life is I got to get my fair share, I've got to get what's coming to me, I've got to get what's owed me, I've got to be treated a certain way, you're always going to go the route when it comes to your relationships of convincing, manipulating, and controlling. And you will damage, possibly destroy the relationships that are most important to you. Because understand this, relationships do not thrive on rejection. Relationships thrive on acceptance. And our hearts always, always gravitate away from rejection and towards acceptance. By the way, here's another little nugget here. When we operate in our relationships by convincing and manipulating and controlling, what happens is we lose influence with people. And you know why? You can't influence me if I don't feel accepted by you. Isn't that true of you too? If you don't feel like you're accepted by someone, you're not going to let them influence you. Parents, this explains why when your kids are little, six, seven, and eight years old, they just worship mommy and daddy. They do everything you want them to do. They want to please you and obey you. But it's like, you know, when they turn 13, they're, they're possessed by Satan himself, right? And you'll say something like, why all of a sudden can't I have... The only influence in their life is their friends. They will do everything their friends says. Why is it they're now listening to their friends and they won't listen to me? It's because they feel like their friends accept them, understand them. Therefore, they will allow themselves to be influenced by them. See, we all gravitate toward arenas of acceptance. That's why one druggie can find another druggie. That's why you put an alcoholic in a situation where everybody doesn't drink, but if there's one, they'll find each other. You know why? We have a tendency to gravitate toward arenas of acceptance and away from arenas of convince, manipulate, and control. It's just the way we're wired, right? Now, here's the problem. If you don't really believe that there's a God out there who loves you unconditionally, if you don't really believe that there's a God out there who has your best interest in mind, if you don't really believe that there's a God out there who's actually in control of your life, what choice do you have but to approach your relationships from this standpoint? I mean, if you don't look out for yourself, if you don't look out for number one, who is? So you have to convince, you have to manipulate, you have to control because you know what you need out of the relationship. Now this weekend, we're going to begin to turn the corner a little bit and, and we're going to look at a different approach to relationships and we're going to look uh, at the greatest, the, the life of the greatest influencer who ever lived. And of course that's Jesus Christ. And I say that he was the greatest influencer who ever lived because of this reason. Jesus only lived to be 33. He didn't go public with his ministry until he was 30. Up to that point, he was a carpenter. Nobody even knew who Jesus was. But at the age of 30, he called 12 disciples, and he decided to go public with his ministry. It only lasted three years. In three years, he literally spent his time investing in the lives, influencing those three people. Here we sit 2,000 years later, billions of people, over a third of the world's population, profess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior and Lord of their life. I don't know about you. I think that's some serious influence. Right? What's interesting is Jesus, in his three years of ministry, he never had to resort to convincing, manipulating, and controlling. 
And it's because he had a totally different approach to relationships. That's what we're looking at today. So if you have your Bible, turn with me over to Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning, uh, let me just remind you that originally the book of Philippians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a small group of Christians in a church at Philippi. It was written in the first century. Now it's the book of Philippians, right? But Paul, in writing these, because he had heard things through the grapevine about this church, he knew that these people felt the same way about each other that we sometimes feel about each other. So in this book, he's got some things he wants to say about relationships. And he begins Philippians chapter 2, to be honest with you, with a very unrealistic request. But thankfully, he explains it to us. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And we read that or we hear that and we think, I am so sure, Paul. I mean, Paul, the great apostle, get your head out of the clouds. Let's get a little real here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Of course you are, or vain conceit. Rather, or instead, in humility, so he tells us it's going to get even worse. In humility, value others above yourself. And here it is. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, let me tell you what Paul's not saying there. He's not saying that other people are better than you. He's not even saying that other people are more important than you. He's saying when it comes to your relationships, put other people ahead of yourself. Now, here's the problem with that. This is not a very practical way to live. It's kind of an unrealistic way to live. I mean, as we see in the American dream, it's up and to the right. You know, get a job, get a promotion, get an office, get a corner office, get stock options. It's up and to the right. That's what we do. And you got to walk over some people to get there. You can't constantly go through life putting, but it's even more practical than that. A lot of college students, you may show up tomorrow to go into the classroom building. And you think, man, I'm going to put other people ahead of myself. So you open the door and, and somebody says, no, you go ahead. No, you go, you go, you go. You go. And here they keep coming. No, you go. No, after you, you go. You go. You're late to class every day. You end up flunking out of college. I mean, it's just not practical. <laughs> or you go to work tomorrow and you get to the elevator and you push the button and the door opens. You say, no, after you, you first, you first. Well, good gracious, the elevator's full. And so you wait and push it again. It comes back down by. Now the crowds are, oh, you first, you first. You, you get fired because you never get to your job on time, right? It's not even practical. I mean, if you live this way, you'll never have a corner office because you'll say, give it to him. You'll never have an office with a window. You'll say, give it to her. You'll never even get to pick which restaurant you're going to eat at. It's like, hey, whatever you want, that's what we'll do. To put other people ahead of yourself, it's not even practical. It's unrealistic. But then Paul goes on to say this in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Now, last year, the NIV, they made some changes in their translation. I don't like this. The original word was attitude, which is the word. I don't know why they changed it. Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. In other words, this idea of putting others ahead of yourself best describes the attitude that Jesus had when it came to his relational style. Now, let me just say this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're serious about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, at some point you're going to have to adopt Jesus' relational style. What was his relational style? Put other people first. He didn't just look out for his own interest. He looked out for the interest of others. And, and we hear that and our response is this. This is my response. Well, huh. If everybody else lives that way, then I'm willing to try it, but I am not going to go first. Right? I am not getting out there and look like an idiot, right? But if everybody else, but if everybody else, I mean, I'm not going to go first because I'm going to get walked all over. I'm going to get taken advantage of. Ain't nobody got time for that. You know, you know that just, just be stupid, you know? Nobody wants to do that. So let me show you what he's talking about. I didn't do that in any other service. Just this one, and I apologize. Uh, <laughs> verse 5. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And then he, gives, he begins to give us a description of what this attitude was like. Verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Now, that's a very fancy way of saying, you know what that really means? It means that when Jesus was on this earth, he never pulled rank. When Jesus was on this earth, he never used the God card, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels, but Jesus, you know, he pulled these 12 guys together, disciples, not the brightest bulbs in the box. I mean, they weren't that sharp. You can just tell. Fishermen, tax collectors, all kinds of things. But th these are the guys Jesus wanted, and he pulled them together. And often in the Gospels, and I think a part of their growing, he would tell them to do something, but that, he wouldn't tell them why. He would do that all the time. Like Jesus got up one morning and stretched, John chapter 4, today we must go through Samaria. To which I'm sure they responded, we must not. I mean, the Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were Jews who had intermarried. They considered them half-breeds. And a Jew would walk all the way around Samaria so that they wouldn't even have to have any contact with Samaritans. But Jesus knew that there was an appointment that day with the woman at the well. And Jesus says, today we must go through Samaria. Now, you know they were saying, but we don't want to go. Why do we have to go? I guarantee you Jesus' response was not, because I'm God and I've said so. He didn't say that. He never did that. Occasionally you'd read Jesus would say, guys, I need a little quiet time. You get in the boat and row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm sure they're like, really? Row, Jesus? I mean, that's a long way. We're tired. We like it. This, do we have to go? Why do we have to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Why can't we just hang out with you? Jesus didn't say, because I'm God. And I says, Jesus could not have been a dad. Because that's our favorite phrase. Because I said so, right? Jesus never did that, right? He took his position. Get this now. He took his rank and he said, I'll just set that right over here. He set it aside. Verse 7, rather, in other words, instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That tells us not only did he set aside his rank, he also set aside his rights. He gave up that, that role, that seat beside the, on the throne as the son of God and he became a servant. That meant that he took everything that was rightfully his as the son of God. He took everything he deserved. We're talking about justice and fairness. We're talking about respect. He took all of that, and for the sake and the potential of a relationship with us, he said, I'll just, I'm just going to set that aside. But that's not all. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Get this, even death on a cross. You know what it means when it says that Jesus humbled himself? It means that Jesus, the Son of God, placed himself under people. In other words, the Son of God, think about this. The Son of God allows some smelly, sweaty, dirty Roman soldier to manhandle him. The Son of God allowed people to spit on him, to verbally abuse him. The Son of God allowed himself to actually be nailed to a cross. You see, that's how far Jesus took this idea of putting people ahead of himself. Rank wasn't an issue. His rights weren't an issue. Respect wasn't an issue. He took, he put rank over here. He put rights over here. He put respect over here. He set it all aside. Now, we've read this passage if you've been in church a million times. Here's the big question. Why? Why did he do that? I'll give you the answer. It's because if Jesus would have hung on to the rank and the rights and the respect he deserved, it would have prohibited him from coming into this world and being our Savior. See, we never think about it this way, but Jesus had a dilemma. Jesus has got a problem. He could get everything he rightfully deserved, after all, he was the Son of God, or, other side of the choice, he could enter into a relationship with mankind. But understand, he could not have it both ways. So he had to think about it. He had to weigh his values. And he had to decide, what is it that's going to take priority? 
Was it going to be his rank? Was it going to be his rights? Was it going to be the respect he deserved? Or was he going to be able to have a relationship with mankind? And Jesus decided, hmm. A relationship, the potential of a relationship with mankind, that takes priority. And so now, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus is saying to those of us who are his disciples, those of us who are his followers, I expect you to make the same choice in your relationships. I expect you to have the same priority in your relationships because that's what I did for you. I set aside my rights for your salvation. I set aside my comfort for the sake of a relationship with you. Which I think brings up a natural question. Can you imagine how God the Heavenly Father must feel knowing that his son set all of this aside so that he could have a relationship with us. Yet we're unwilling to set aside our rank, our rights, and what we think we deserve in order to have a relationship with one another, or in some cases, in order to restore a relationship with one another, or fix a relationship with one another. I mean, God must look at us and think, really? And maybe that's where you are this weekend. Hey, maybe you're married, you know? And you're kind of at this standoff. And, you know, we can spot you, you know? And husband, you're sitting there thinking, it's her turn. And wife, you're sitting there thinking, it's his turn. And he's sitting there thinking, I gave in last time. And she's thinking, I got my rights. I deserve better than this. See, this is what God is saying. You got to lay all that stuff aside for the sake of the relationship. After all, God says... That's what I did. That's what I did. But let me show you the most amazing thing about this passage. And I've read it a million times. I've never seen it before until this series. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now let me give you a little quiz. Has every knee on the planet bowed to Jesus Christ? Recognized him as God, Savior, Lord of the universe? No. Some of you are holdouts here this weekend. You know, you're just not there yet. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 11, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, let me ask you another question. Has every tongue on planet Earth admitted that Jesus Christ is Lord? I'm going to follow him? No. Some of you here this weekend, you would say, you know what? I, I'm getting there where I think he's a great teacher. Some of you would say, I, I would even say, I think he's a great prophet, maybe right up there with Muhammad, but the son of God, the savior of the world, I'm just not there yet. I, I could never say that I believe that. Two-thirds of the world don't believe that. Let me tell you what this is saying. Never saw it before. It's saying that while you and I are down here on planet Earth, in our relationships, all been out of shape, you know, all hurt, all offended because of something that maybe has happened relationally to us in our past, till this day, Jesus still has not received the respect that's due him. Now, here's the question. Do you know why? It's because he knows when he shows up the second time, and every tongue, knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. He knows when he shows up the second time, it's over. It's too late. You see, Jesus came the first time, Christmas. We love little baby Jesus, don't we? Cuddly, warm little baby Jesus. Nobody's threatened by little baby Jesus. That's why we love Christmas. My deer are coming out in a couple of weeks. I got about 40 of them. The trees are going up, lights. I mean, it's redneck Christmas at my house. We, I love Christmas. Jesus never said celebrate my birth. Never. He said, if you want to celebrate something, remember the crucifixion. Remember my blood that was poured out and my body that was broken. But we get all jacked up for Christmas, don't we? 
Little baby Jesus, no threat whatsoever. That's the first time he came. Well, here's the news. He's coming back again. So what the Bible says, don't get offended. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. He's going to come back again. He's not coming back as sweet little baby Jesus. He's coming back as king and judge. And he's going to judge all of mankind. And this is basically how it's going to be. You can think of this aisle right down the middle. He's going to say, if you believe in me as the Savior of the world, this side. If you don't, this side. Everybody on this side who believed in me and trusted in me, my salvation to have a relationship with my heavenly Father, God, you get to spend all eternity with me. You guys, not so much. In fact, it's not going to work out that great for you guys. And I'm going to get into it this weekend, but think of it this way. If you love Las Vegas in July, give you an idea of what, what God has planned for those, those, those who reject him. Don't get mad. I'm not trying to scare you anything. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So Jesus knows when I show up the second time, mankind's going to lose the opportunity to follow me. When I come back the second time, it's going to be too late. They've had their opportunity. They've had their choice. And he knows yet at that time, it's going to be rather spectacular when Jesus comes back the second time. Trust me, you'll know it. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he really is the son of God. Everyone will get it. A lot of people are going to say, ooh, I was wrong. But Jesus knows at that point, you don't get to choose anymore. At that point, it's too late. So think about it this way. The reason that Jesus is still waiting to return the reason that Jesus still hasn't received the respect and the honor that's due him, the reason he still hasn't received all that's coming to him is because he continues, even right now as we're sitting here, he continues to put the potential relationship with mankind over what he's got coming. He puts it over what he deserves. Do you know what that means? That means if you're here this weekend and you're not a Christian, because there's some things you feel like, ooh, if I become a Christian, there's some things I'm going to have to give up, and there's some things I'm going to have to change, and we get it, we've all been there, right? But let me tell you something amazing. While you still choose not to follow Jesus because of something you may have to give up or change or something maybe you'd have to set aside, Jesus continues to set aside what he's got coming for him for the sake of a relationship with you. In other words, that potential relationship with you is so valuable to him. He says, I'll wait. I'll, wait. I'll get, just give it a little bit longer. And let me tell you, what would make this weekend a huge success is not if like, you like my message or the music was great or the lights were incredible or the video started on time, none of that. What would make this weekend a huge success if, if just one person at one of our campuses, just one person came to grips with the fact, wow, I get it now. There's a God out there who loves me so much that he's willing to set aside everything that is rightfully his. And he's willing to do it just for the sake of of the possibility of having a relationship with me. Wow. If, if just one person got it, that would make this a great weekend. Now, I want to wrap this up. Do you know what kind of relational approach Jesus had? Because I said we we're going to look at a different approach. It's right here in the passage, kind of three tools that Jesus uses in relationships, not convincing and manipulating and controlling. Okay, here's the first one, service. That's how he approached his relationship with mankind with us. He came to service. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. All the Gospels present Jesus as a servant. That would be the first one. Here's the second one. And, and ladies, don't freak out. Submission. Do you know what the Bible says about submission? Um, it's right before the verse that all us men like. Okay? This is what it says. Ephesians 5.21. So we all know the part about why submit to your husbands. We'll talk about that some other time. But this Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another. 
out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to do a whole message on submission because all of us submit somewhere. It's just, it's just the way life is. Submission is for the person submitting. When I submit, I'm a better person. When you submit, you're a better person. So there's, there's submission, right? And so it says basically here, Jesus says, this is what I modeled for you. I came and put your stuff ahead of my stuff. I put your deal ahead of my deal. I came and I put, I put you, I made you more important than me. Now as you move into your relationships, that's what I want you to do. I want you to treat people that way. I want you to learn what it means to submit to one another. You serve them, you submit to them. And then the third tool right here, sacrifice. Sacrifice, even to the point of death. Now think about this. Not through manipulation, not through convincing and controlling, but through serving, submission, and sacrifice. Jesus got our attention, brought us to the point of repentance where we actually wanted to have a relationship with him. And he saved us. It wasn't by convincing us. It wasn't by manipulating us. It wasn't by controlling us. That's why you don't have to choose to follow him. It has nothing to do with that. It was by serving, submitting, and sacrifice. Serving, submitting, sacrificing. Serving, submitting, sacrificing. And a third of the world follows him and worships him today because that's how he gained his influence. You want influence? And this is what he's saying to husbands. Husbands, that's how you love your wives. And this is what he's saying to wives. That's how you love your husbands. And this is what he's saying to children. That's how you respond to your parents. And this is what he's saying to parents. That's how you lead and guide your children. And this is what he's saying to roommates. That's how you treat people who are your roommate. And this is what he's saying to, to employees. That's how I want you to respond to your boss. And this is what he's saying to the bosses. That's the relationship I want you to have with the people that work for you. Because understand, service, submission, and sacrifice, they open the door to relationships. But convincing, manipulating, and controlling, they lock the door to relationships. Serving, submitting, and sacrifices, they communicate acceptance. But convincing, manipulating, controlling, see, that communicates rejection. I'm just going to be honest with you. Service and submission and sacrifice, it may not get you your fair share of the pie. It may not get you what you think you deserve in life. It may not get people to do what you think they should do, but I tell you what it will do. It will open the door to genuine relationships, and in some cases, it will reopen the door to relationships. Now, over the next few weeks, starting next weekend, we're going we're gonna to answer some tough questions like next week, how do you love the sinner and not the sin? We're going to talk about that next week. You know, uh, what if your husband's an idiot and your wife is crazy? We're going to talk about that. You know. <laughs> how do you actually confront someone with the goal of restoring the relationship without doing more harm than good? You know, driving a deeper wedge in the relationship. We're going to talk about that. But in general, in general, what would happen if the approach to all of your relationships was not convince, manipulate, control, but if it was, how can I serve? Where do I need to submit? And how can I sacrifice? Can you imagine how our relationships would change? We would see marriages that are right on the brink of divorce. We would see them restored. We would see relationships that are just absolutely shattered between parents and kids. We could see those relationships reestablished. We, we would see relational miracles if we could ever get to the point where we stopped convincing, manipulating, and controlling and started serving and submitting and sacrificing. Now, understand, Jesus says, well, you don't have to go there, but if you follow me, this is where I'm going to try to take you. This is where I'm going to try to take you. 
By the way, let me dream for a second. Can you imagine a church where everybody stopped convincing, manipulating, and controlling each other, and we just started serving each other and submitting to one another and sacrificing for each other? Can you imagine the impact we could have on our community and the world? That's why we sing that song earlier, Jesus, in your name, we can change the world. Do you know where it starts? It starts with me leading my family this way, and I don't. I, I know you guys think I'm stupid. I'm, I'm smarter than you guys think I am. And I'm master at convincing, manipulating, and controlling and I was having a, a conversation with one of my sons recently, and he says, Dad, you know what you're doing? You're convincing, manipulating, and controlling. So he begins, it begins with Laura's here. It begins with me loving Laura this way. I am the master manipulator. I, I'm, I mean, if pouting was an Olympic sport, you're looking at a freaking gold medalist. I mean, yeah. Now don't laugh, men. We all do that, right? It starts with husbands and wives and children and roommates. It starts wherever you are. And, and you know what could be a step toward breaking this? And you're going to say, oh, you're manipulating us. No, I'm really not this time. Motives are totally pure. Go online or get the phone app and hit the serve button. Because when you hit that serve button, what you're saying is, I'm tired of being waited on. See, the only way I know to break the power of self-centeredness in our life is to serve other people. Jesus says you'll be blessed if you do it. It'll change your life if you do it. You got to hit that serve button and say things are going to be different. But see, before you do that, it starts with us. It starts with us deciding that our rights and what we think we deserve and what we think people owe us, now it's going to take a back seat to serving, submitting, and sacrificing. Now, nowhere in this message did I use the word easy. Because it's not. Because there's just something inside of every one of us that says, I got my rights. Nah. No, you don't. When you followed, decided to follow Jesus, you, you gave up your rights. This is not a journey where you get to have much say. You get to follow. And it'll cost you. It'll cost you. But you got to decide, how's it working out for me now? I've done it my way to get to this place. Maybe it's worth changing and trying it Jesus' way for a while. This is where he wants to take you. Let's bow together. Let me just say a word to those of you who are not Christians. You, you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. If nothing else, what I want you to understand this weekend, that's how much he loves you. He was willing to step down out of heaven in all the glory and all the splendor and become a servant and submit to even death on a cross. And he continues to put off right. He rightfully deserves because he would love nothing more than to have a relationship with you. It'll change your life. And it's pretty simple. When you get to the place where you realize, I want to have a relationship with God and I can't earn it, I can't work my way back, I can't pay for it, the only thing I can do is accept this free gift that Jesus Christ provided when he died on the cross to pay for my sins. That's the first step. You take one step toward God and he is all over you with love. And maybe that's the step you need to take today. 
For the rest of you that are Christians, I would just say, I don't know what your standoff is in your relationships, but this is where it begins. And it's not realistic to ask you to go out of here and even try this for a week. But what if you went home today and said, today, just today, I refuse to convince, manipulate, and control. Just today, I'm going to serve, I'm going to submit, and I'm going to sacrifice. And maybe if it goes well today, maybe, maybe Monday, you know. But we've got to start somewhere. Father, thank you for your love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, you gave your son to die for us. And we get to have this incredible relationship with you, and this is a painful, tough series. Not easy, but this is what you've called us to, and we're gonna keep going down this road, Father, because I believe you're gonna transform our hearts and our lives and our church and our community and our world, because I believe we're gonna get this. And I believe the light's gonna go on, and we're gonna say, oh, yeah, yeah. Now I get it. So thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for just giving us these chances to get it right. In your name we pray.